Hello and welcome to Haaretz Weekend, your audio supplement to the news from Israel, the Middle East and the Jewish world. I'm Simon Spungin. On today's show... Listener, when we launched Haaretz Weekend, uh, the idea was to give some airtime to topics that don't have life-and-death consequences. We hoped to steer clear of such weighty issues as the Iranian nuclear talks, global pandemics, and politics. Uh, In that spirit, today's episode will include a review of a hit TV show that's just been added to the catalogue of an Israeli video-on-demand service, despite calls to boycott the BDS-supporting author as well as the latest news on the search for a chairman for the Jewish agency, immigration, and the always tense relations between orthodox and non-orthodox in Israel. In the studio with me today are Judy Maltz and Adrian Hennigan. Judy, great to have you here. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Simon? Uh, awesome. Thank you. Uh, Adrian, thanks for tearing yourself away from the screen for a few moments. Glad of the respite. <laughs> So, Judy, notwithstanding my intro, I suppose we ought to start with the newsiest segment of the lineup and talk a little bit about the Omicron variant. Omicron variant? Oh, my, I'm going with Omicron because it's, it's easier to pronounce. So I- Israeli health officials have already started talking about a fourth COVID vaccine and the ban on entry to non-Israelis is still in place or, or rather partially in place, right? You, you reported this week that a group of 77 South African Jews will be arriving on December the 15th uh, to begin their new lives here. Uh, Given that South Africa is one of the main Omicron hotspots, uh, have we started importing the virus again? Well, let's hope not. Um, The interesting thing is, from what I was able to ascertain, this wasn't a controversial decision at all. Uh, You would have thought... Should we be doing this, bringing 77 people from the country that is right now the epicenter of the outbreak of this variant? And uh, everyone seems to be in favor, even the health professionals at the Ministry of Health. And uh, you might have seen quoted in my story was Professor Nadav Davidovich. Mm -hmm. I was sure maybe he would say something. This isn't the time. Let's wait. Let's first find out. He said, well, they're coming on Aliyah. They're here to stay. We can't just tell people, you know, sit on your suitcases now until whenever because we don't know. So come. They're going to put them in uh, the Corona hotels. They have to be in isolation like anyone else Mm -hmm. coming from a red state for uh, seven days or until they get two negative Corona tests. And uh, yeah, I was surprised myself that there was no controversy about this. And, and, and yet we ran the article, even though the, there appears to be no controversy about yet, it. Yet, because uh, <laughs> the fact is that you decide to start the program with it, Simon. Well, so, I, mean, yeah, I, it I mean, just looking at it, even from, from a, an, an interested newsreader's um, perspective, it, it does seem weird. I mean, you know, we're, we're, um, we're letting in yeshiva students, new immigrants, and, and Miss Universe contestants. Which, which of those are considered uh, essential uh, travel uh, in, in this day and age? Tell me, what, what's the Aliyah? Um, situation been like over the past two years with the coronavirus? Has it been business as usual? No, obviously not. Uh, In 2020, there was a very dramatic downturn. Mm. And that was because there was big problems with flights. Immigrants have always been allowed to come. They are 
uh, treated exactly as Israeli nationals when it comes to these lockdowns. So that was never an issue. And there was this very, very short period, you may remember, at the beginning of this year, when Israel closed its skies to everyone, including mm. Israelis who were stranded. Um, so that was really the only time that Israelis and immigrants couldn't come in. Immigrants have been allowed to come in, but because of the problems with flights, it's been d difficult to bring them in. So there was a drop, and, and it's rebounded this year. We're still not back to the 2019 level, however. What's interesting, though, and this is something that we all need to follow up on, mm. is that there's been this huge, huge increase in uh, the number of uh, Jews abroad who have been opening what they call Aliyah files. That means they're interested mm. in making Aliyah. Dramatic, especially in the United States and France. And what's going on here, uh, many observers seem to believe, is that uh, people who have relatives uh, in Israel uh, or close friends mm -hmm. or who had been used to visiting a lot uh, were traumatized by what happened during this pandemic when they couldn't come when they wanted to. Mm. So they've decided, well, let's just get an Israeli passport. They have no intention of moving here, but they want to have an, a passport just in case the next variant or the next pandemic, they can come. Mm, so so I think that's what we're seeing with this huge, huge increase in interest in Aliyah. Right. Well, I mean, they've already passed one test of Israeliness by, by cheating the system a little bit. Right, <laughs> right. But you can't get much more Israeli than that. Right, right. But these people do, when they, when they apply for Aliyah, one of the things they have to do is, is be interviewed by the Jewish agency. And one of the questions they are asked is, do you intend to make Israel your quote-unquote center of life? Mm. And, you know, they, they can say yes. Nobody does a follow-up actually, afterwards to see, oh, are they still here? So, yeah, you can lie. It's mm. a white lie, I guess. Mm. Uh, has there been any change in the, the type of people who have been making Aliyah? Um, well, yes. Uh, I did a story last week about uh, the very interesting new kind of subcategory uh, within uh, North American Aliyah, which is mainly American Aliyah. Mm. Up until now, it's been predominantly Orthodox, or what we would call modern Orthodox. There is a growing segment now that is actually ultra-Orthodox, what you might call Hasidim, mm. Yeshivish, Haredi. They are a growing share of the Americans who are coming on Aliyah in the past year or so. Mm. What, what's driving that? So there are a number of factors behind it. One of them is these, in contrast to Haredi society in Israel, the ultra-Orthodox in America tend to work. Mm. And for many of them, the reason not to make Aliyah until now was that they were worried about would they be able to find employment. And Corona has proven to everyone that it is possible to work remotely. So this has been a factor. Another factor is anti-Semitism, which we saw very much directed against ultra-Orthodox or very visible mm -hmm. Jews over the past year. They felt uh, that they were singled out, uh, especially in New York. So that, that, that's something that uh, quite a number of people are, are, are talking about when you ask them why, why now. Another uh, interesting factor behind this is that many of them were Trump supporters, and they share values with uh, many of those who, who support Trump, 
such as Christian evangelicals, at least what they call so-called family values, mm. anti-abortion, uh, anti-LGBT. And they were not happy with the rise of the Democrats again to power in the United States. And I guess I haven't heard that uh, Tel Aviv has the biggest gay parade in the Middle East, but uh, well, they'll learn. <laughs> presumably they're not moving to Tel Aviv, but they are. Where, where are they living when, when they immigrate? So, interestingly, they're not going to the traditional destinations mm. for ultra-Orthodox, the, the certain neighborhoods in Jerusalem and certain neighborhoods in Beit Shemesh. Uh, those have become extremely expensive. So what we're seeing more and more is they're coming in groups together and they are somehow working out deals with mayors of outlying towns and cities in Israel to allocate to them big plots where they can build their own communities and live together, mm. kind of like a kibbutz, I, I, I guess you could say. Mm. That, that, that is interesting. Yeah. Uh, interesting term. So, uh, this, uh, Intelligence Minister Elazar Stern suggested this week uh, that Israel should institute a special status for Jewish foreign nationals who want to visit. Is that the kind of thing that he would have pushed for if his candidacy to lead the Jewish agency hadn't been scuppered by his admission that as head of the IDF's manpower directorate, he ignored anonymous sexual harassment complaints? Would that have been top of his to-do list had he, uh, had he got the job? I can't say, but it makes sense um, knowing his positions on other issues. In, in the past, as a member of Knesset, he was pretty active in um, leading causes that had to do with strengthening Israel-Diaspora relations. And this is, uh, as we were just noting, this has mm. become an issue for Diaspora Jews. The truth is, why not? <laughs> if they want to get passports, why not? I mean, all new immigrants who come to Israel not only get passports, they do get a lot of government help, rental subsidies, what they call the... Um, Aliyah basket, lots of financial incentives. So for the, you could create a subgroup and say, you know what, you want an Israeli passport, fine. Mm. Doesn't cost anything. Doesn't cost the Israeli taxpayer anything. And then, you know, in times of trouble, you want to come to Israel, that's fine. Mm. Maybe condition voting rights on, on actual residency, though. Yeah, uh, probably. Otherwise, I mean, yeah. it might be open to political manipulation, allowing certain groups with certain leanings to come and others not. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I mean, I don't know what Elazar Stern was thinking, but this was an issue that did come up during the pandemic. And I think it initially came up with French Jews, many of whom kind of live in both places because France and Israel are even closer than mm. Israel and the United States. Some work there, have families here. Maybe they didn't take citizenship, and suddenly one day they discovered they could not come into the country and see their family. Mm -hmm. So that, there was talk at the time of, like, let's allow them to have passports. They won't take money from the government. They won't take any benefits. They just want to be able to travel freely. Mm -hmm. Apropos the Jewish agency, what on earth is going on there? Oh, I mean, we, we chatted a few weeks ago about the interminable search for someone to head the organization. Mm -hmm. 
Any progress to report? Unfortunately, I don't. But wow. it's amazing how many people are really interested in following it's this. That's a, it's a cliffhanger. We're waiting for the new season <laughs> yeah. to, to, to launch. Yeah, yeah. I'm in total suspense. No, nothing, nothing moved on that. We're still yeah. waiting for February, and and the same. What was it? Eight candidates have still got that. We have still have the, their ring. We still have the uh, the the eight candidates who are all in one way or another affiliated with the Likud or with the religious right, and everyone is waiting for Lapid to um, present the. Uh, so-called uh, candidate of the progressive uh, camp in Israel mm. and the progressive movements. And for whatever reason, he's uh, not moving on this. And he keeps asking for uh, further extensions. The truth is, I mean, uh, from what I see, I mean, maybe you know differently, the Jewish agency seems seems to be managing just fine for the past six it, it, months it, it without really it, does. right? It, it really does, and and I and I think many people would argue that Israel would manage just fine without the Jewish agency. I would agree. Uh, well, yeah, I would agree that there are many people <laughs> who would say that. Yeah. Well, yeah. may, maybe whoever is is eventually selected to become king or queen of the Jews uh, will we'll take a long, hard look at relations between the various streams of Judaism inside Israel. Maybe they'll even persuade the government to abide by landmark court rulings on non-orthodox conversions uh you would think yes um and that's interesting because this week we reported that uh following that landmark ruling to recognize conversions undertaken in israel by the reform and conservative movements basically nothing has happened the interior ministry uh which is in charge is of approving uh, applications for status change and recognizing these people as Jews has basically of more than 80 applications that it's received in uh, recent months has only approved three, mm. which is pretty astonishing, considering that everyone thought, well, you know, if the Supreme Court ruled that these people should be recognized as, as Jews, all they needed to rubber stamp some mm -hmm, paper, mm -hmm. but apparently not. They're dragging in these people for these very, very lengthy interviews, asking all sorts of questions that some of the people who have been interviewed have said were not exactly appropriate or not sensitive, and um, just dragging them on and not giving them answers for months upon months. Well, it, it, it's good that somebody in, in the media is keeping an eye on it and making sure that, uh, and uh, hopefully holding them uh, to account. Let's move on, if we can, to the cultural section of the show. It's telling that even when we dedicate a segment of the show to a TV review, there's got to be a slightly political angle to it, right? So, Adrian, explain to us why you've reviewed Normal People, uh, the 2020 television adaptation of Sally Rooney's novel at the same time, and why Miss Rooney is, is something of a persona non grata in Israel right now. Well, it's interesting because, you know, the book came out a few years in 2018. Uh, the series came out last year, was shown in Israel. And then this summer, she uh, released her third novel, mm. uh, Beautiful World, Where Are You? And it was slowly revealed that actually she didn't want it to be published in Israel. No, she mm. said she actually wouldn't have a problem with it being published in Hebrew, just as long as it wouldn't actually be published in Israel by an Israeli publisher. Clearly, you know, this was because of, you know, look, look, I think you have to explain who Sally Rooney mm. is. You know, she's Irish, she's pro-BDS, 
and it's you know it's obviously something that's very close to her heart you know she's a strident marxist and you know i think it was probably ironic that her book is called normal people when we're talking about israel <laughs> the land where anything is but normal <laughs> so i guess things came to a head when the news broke and then israel booksellers said well you know what if you're going to boycott us we're going to boycott you and they took her first two novels off the shelves and became this you know this silly you know, mudslinging really mm. As it happened, and I'm not quite sure why they did it, Selcom TV decided that now would be a good time for them to show normal people, which you know, it's on Israeli TV already on Yes and Hot, but clearly they wanted to show it as well, which for me is fantastic. So it's a great show. Mm. And it gave you an opportunity to, to, to review the show. Yeah, exactly, mm -hmm. which funnily enough, it, it had passed me by. I'm not quite sure why. My kids, I've got two teenage girls, and what I love about Sally Rooney is she's got my kids reading books. Mm. You know, it's amazing. You have you know young people having sex all the time, and suddenly it's uh, you know people want to read the book. So I was interested in her anyway because my family's from the same part of the world in Ireland mm. as her, and I actually love her writing. But I think what's what's interesting now is that it's almost become in Israel. You know, she's become this, as you say, persona non grata. For actually doing something that a lot of people in her milieu do. I mean, 70 authors just backed her stance. Mm. Uh, and, um, you know, she's hardly a lone voice in this. I mean, a, a lot of writers in, in Haaretz and elsewhere ha have been writing about Irish support of the Palestinian cause. Um, Iris Liel, for example, wrote... Um, Quote, for many years, the Emerald Islanders have supported the Palestinians out of identification with them. They view Israel as evil occupying England and the Palestinians as their own counterparts struggling for freedom. Is that too simplistic? I think what she's writing is accurate. I think what they're uh, identifying with is far too simplistic. And the idea that, you know, Palestine equals Island or equals Catholic Island and Israeli calls, you know, colonialist oppressor, mm. you know, ultimately what happened between the British and the Irish is a fascinating subject, but it's incredibly um, complex, just as it is here. And I hate to see this just simplistic, you know, we're just going to layer this problem onto this problem and it's an easy fit because mm. clearly each have their own unique problems. And it's just, it's, oh, it just drives me crazy when I see it online. You know, the way certain segments of Irish society just completely demonize Israel. Mm. And it's like, hang on, hang on, we need a little bit more nuance here. Mm. I mean, a, a Jerusalem Post editorial a while back, the headline of which was Ireland's Got an Israel Problem, <laughs> made it, actually made an interesting point. It, it claimed that most Israelis have never even heard of many of the artists who announced that they're boycotting Israel. Mm. Was that the case with Sally Rooney? Well, I don't know what her book sales are like here. All I can tell you is that among my kids and her friends, a lot of them have read Sally Rooney, mm. which mm. You know, is interesting because... I remember Judy writing about, uh, I think you wrote about normal people last year when we were talking about books. Did I? Do you remember that when we did summer reading? Oh, right. And you read wrote, it. And I wrote that I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. But now that you say your daughters loved it, 
I understand why. You know, it's a different generation that it just didn't speak to me, that book at all. And I was like, what's the big whoop about this book? <laughs> well, it shows a very dark side to young life. I mean, it's very bleak at times, but it's amazing how I know I'm literally all of my 19 year old, everyone among her sort of world has read it and loved it. That's so interesting. So there's something about her that connects even in Israel. Mm. So, so maybe they should just call it a young adult novel. Well, that's yeah. the thing. Is, but it's so too bleak. I mean, young adult doesn't have that. I mean, some of the stuff, you know, with her relationships mm. and the, you know, she's like with sadists and it kind of, I'm trying not to swear when I describe <laughs> some of the stuff that's happening there. But it is, you know, it's a fascinating world, but it is something I think that young people connect with. And it is clearly a universal thing when you see how widely the book has been translated. I mean, my point would is always, and I hate to feel like this kind of standard bearer for Israel in these kind of situations, but you kind of like, okay, you're right. Israel does a lot of evil things, if we want to put it in those terms. But it's not the only offender. You know, why are we stopping this book being published in Israel when it's going to be published in China or Russia and, you know, the usual list that we get. But it is also a valid argument that it's brushed over. Mm. And I suppose the cynic would say that uh, the, the few thousand copies of the book that she sells in, in, in Hebrew won't quite add up to the sales in, uh, in China. Perhaps. <laughs> um, well, most Israelis read books in English anyway, don't they? So. You, you, you said mentioned Cellcom and and the timing of this decision to put this, the the um, normal people onto its its video on demand service. And I remember it was about six months ago that Cellcom also took a lot of flack uh, for for calling for a symbolic one hour strike for coexistence between Jews and Arabs at the height of the clashes last year. So maybe this is another uh, brave decision. Uh, on the part of that company yeah. no uh, I think it's actually it's. Uh, I really applaud that they even after all of this happened I don't think it was a cynical move I just think they wanted to show this mm. and why not mm. so uh, the show itself Adrian I don't, have we actually talked about the show itself it, no. it's got a 91% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes which is my go to site for reviews after your columns obviously <laughs> Adrian um, you agree that good oh absolutely i loved it i mean the thing it is it's it's unusual because it's only half an hour each episode mm. so everyone really rattles by there's a certain that has a nice flow to it i mean it's got it suffers at first from the problem of having two actors in their mid-20s playing school kids and it's like mm. this is just you know, not plausible mm. i'm not mm. buying this but once you move beyond that and get to their lives as students at Trinity College Dublin. It's, I just love that Milia and the world she creates, and these two wonderfully sympathetic characters, deeply flawed, who basically need each other, but given the problems in their their personalities, that they're, they're kind of fighting nature and everything that makes them strong as a couple. Mm. And uh, I thought it was a really poignant, really touching great performances and that's why i was just you know, delighted to finally get to see it mm. and i'd read the book and kind of liked the book i didn't <laughs> i was certainly more enthusiastic than judy was about it but um it'll be interesting to see if she can actually 
move on and write other things because she's definitely captured that world perfectly. Mm. I mean, all, all the headlines when it came out were about the uh, the steamy sex scenes, right? Yeah. Which, um, okay, I suppose I will have to watch it then. <laughs> uh, listener, I'm afraid that's all we have time for this week. Uh, thanks to Judy Maltz, Adrian Hennigan, and our producer, Aaron Ehrlich. We'll be back again next week with another episode of Haaretz Weekend. Until then, Shabbat Shalom from Tel Aviv.